0: Of what may be many or maybe uh, one uh, attempt to produce a football unfocused episode on the road, on the road live, travelling to Gay for the Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid on the 28th of May, 2022. I am currently standing in the Eurostar uh, sort of holding lounge, holding pen, uh, waiting to board the 1022 to Gardu du Nord at Pali uh, with my good friend and comrade uh, Neil Booth. Say hello, Neil Booth. Hello, Neil Booth. There you go, hear that. That's a podcast debut saying hello, Neil Booth. Um, so the attempt is going to be to kind of uh, produce some sort of vaguely interesting content that brings to life the experience of going to a big lane like this, traveling overseas and kind of all the details. Um, I have to say my observations of the uh, the departure lounge slash holding pen at the moment are it's mostly families who are probably going to like Euro Disney, judging by the number of Mickey Mouse ears I can see, from excited little children, um, sort of playing and staring at screens to stop them from going insane or driving their parents insane. Because it is, of course, the first day of the, t- the half-term holidays, or break-up day. So I can also only assume that a lot of the parents here are, in fact, breaking the law uh, by bringing their children out of school a day earlier than they should do. Um, so I hope the police have been informed. If not, I shall be uh, taking extensive photographs and sending to the local author- the, the relevant authorities, uh, not just in uh, London and the UK, but around the world. Because I think uh, law-breaking on this scale uh, is... Uh, not just unprecedented, but it needs to be uh, needs to be clamped down upon with a, a firm fist. So anyway, that's going to be the attempt. We are due to board in uh, a few minutes' time, I believe. And uh, this may work, this may not. Um, but the aim is going to be to kind of produce something that's sort of vaguely worth listening to. Uh, and if, if drunkenness is involved, then I can only apologise. Uh, next stop, drunk. Uh, that's, an, that's an office reference. Uh, if you get that, uh, au revoir, civil play. So it's now the first time that football unfocused is being broadcast from overseas. I. I'm in France with my travelling companion Neil Booth uh, we have arrived at quarter to French time au uh, la Francais currently walking alongside the uh, very very efficient Eurostar and ready for a couple of days of uh, mostly drinking some attempts at civility And uh, maybe a bit of football. Goodbye. So... As the latest Football Unfocused uh, update hits you, uh, this is uh, late afternoon in Gaypere. The sun is shining and uh, we are, myself and my good friends uh, Dominic, Stephen and Neil Booth, are walking across the Seine and taking in the sights of the Louvre and the General River Busyness, and I think we should be able to see uh, Notre Dame uh, somewhere here, but uh, I can't. I can't fucking see it from where we uh, currently are. Uh, so uh, I just want this to go onto record. Say at this time of day, at 5:34 uh, Parisian time, things are very civilized. We are behaving uh, in a way that would do great justice to our nation states in terms of overseas behaviour, raising the standards. Uh, I cannot guarantee things will remain that way, but uh, that's, you know, what's happening. In terms of football uh, stuff, you know, uh, we're looking forward to the game. That's, that's as much as you're going to fucking get.
1: Yeah. Bye. Good evening. Uh, it is uh, ten minutes to two. French time. And uh, I'm just going to bed. And uh, my intention upon going out this evening was to record lots of content and and kind of classic banter uh, at dinner and at various uh, drinking establishments. But a combination of only having about 8% battery and also just not being asked uh, led to me not doing that. So... For the purposes of this podcast and this uh, attempt at recording some sort of interesting content across uh, the two days leading up to the Champions League final, I would like to confirm that Paris—and this is a hell of a revelation—this Paris is a superb city, uh, full of amazing, very glamorous, very stylish people, and everywhere you go. Just people just seem better and make you feel quite inadequate because they just look and feel and act better than you do. And you just think, fuck, why can't I carry myself with that level of panache? Uh, So there's something about the old Parisians. The second thing that I would like to observe is that uh, the city, whilst i suppose there will be some people posting shit because they're in a very obvious kind of uh, you know irish bar in the north of paris and they they're in there and singing a few liverpool songs tonight because we went to some maybe some less obvious places and and, and, and this would be i suppose something that would be um vaguely interesting and and relevant to people, anyone who's going to go to a game of this magnitude that's overseas and involves a trip and a stay in the future that is that you you don't necessarily want to go where the massive crowds are going to be because you have to ask yourself what you're going to add to that like a, a podcaster who I have a lot of respect for, Andy Dawson who's a big Sunderland fan went down to the playoff final last weekend, Sunderland against Wickham. And Sunderland famously kind of just, whenever they come down to London for a big game at Wembley, they colonize uh, Trafalgar Square. And Andy Dawson said, like, that's all great. And you turn up there as a Sunderland fan and you see nothing but Sunderland fans and you stand around there and you have a couple of drinks. And after 15 minutes, the novelty's worn off and you're just like, okay, like, is this it? You need to stop having fun. And I very much feel, maybe I'm out of step with the modern day football fan, but I feel like that about, um, going to a big game overseas. And my view is very much that I would rather enjoy it tomorrow, go to the big, sort of slightly forced fun fan park, um, albeit, um, you know, cause it is kind of, rather than football fans just kind of getting together, it is, it is a kind of prearranged, um, event for people who are going to be going to the match later that day. However, the lightning seeds are going to be on. Who the fuck? If you, I mean, especially if you like football in the nineties, if you don't like the lightning seeds, you're yeah, clearly an idiot. Um, so, the, the see, and obviously there are scout's band, so the likenesses are going to be on. And I think they're saying that the capacity of the fan park is around 40,000 people, which is pretty amazing when you consider that less than half of them are going to have tickets for the actual game. Uh, and that's free entry. So, it just shows you what they can do when they want to. And also, what's well, quite an interesting uh, observation and worthy of discussion, I suppose, in a future podcast. Uh, that is less kind of uh, of a mono. Um, uh, uh, I don't know what the fucking word for this is really. Just uh, uh, is it a rant or is it just a fucking recording or is it a, a stream of consciousness? But anyway, whatever this is, something that is less than that and more of a discussion and a two way thing, it might be worth discussing why it is that. When a club like Liverpool gets to the Champions League final or any major European final, they typically outdo whoever they're playing from whatever country uh, for tickets by at least 3-1. And that was never more true than in 2005 in uh, Istanbul, where it was probably about 10-1 to in favour of Liverpool. Same with Athens in 2007 and uh, same with Kiev in 2018 and same with um, Madrid in 2019 and the interesting thing about that is that you can kind of say oh it's because English football fans are are so much more passionate than everyone else and they're more bothered about traveling abroad and they're more you know prepared to travel and it, some of the supporters of these massive clubs like Real Madrid are so blase about making it to European finals that maybe it's not as big a deal to them but in 2019 we played Tottenham who had never been to a Champions League final before and uh, we still outnumbered them in the ground by at least 3-1 to one, at least probably more and across the city you know if you just travelled around Madrid those few days uh, it was ridiculous the extent to which uh Liverpool football number of Tottenham and Tottenham are a very well supported club so it I I don't know I, I mean there's no answer to this question I'm posing other than maybe superior numbers and I don't know but I do think it I I do think there's something in it about the whole you know the the, the fact that Liverpool being a kind of celtic city that is hugely influenced uh, in in pretty much every respect by its kind of irish heritage and when really you look at that and compare it to uh, the Irish national team supporters whenever they make it to a World Cup or a European Championship um, and the way in which the fans just go in massive numbers and, but also kind of like behave themselves uh, incredibly well um, I do think there's a similarity there but anyway that's the end of my observations now this is the end of day one uh and it's coming up to kind of two in the morning in uh in Paris. So obviously tomorrow's a big day. But any final like this is one of those things that you can go into it and tomorrow could be one of the happiest days of your adult life, but it could also be a real dab squib and disappointment and it depends entirely upon the result. And you can go there and it's kind of unlike any other game, really, because you don't Actually, care how you play. You don't particularly care when you're in the ground, anyway, whether it's a good game or not. You know, objectively, the game in Madrid in 2019 was was poor, really poor. I think Liverpool scored too early; it kind of killed the game. The rest of it was top them, huffing and puffing, and kind of not really getting anywhere. And then Liverpool scoring the second later on, but it was a disjointed sort of match. And the new, and, and with next to nothing going on, and very few actual chances and attempts on goal. But when you're in the crowd and you are emotionally invested in it, it feels captivating and riveting and tense. And that's the thing, I suppose. Tomorrow, when I look at it from a Liverpool perspective and and think about you know expectations for tomorrow, I couldn't give a monkey's whether we play well. Uh, you know, it's all about winning, really. But at the same time, if you don't win and you lose, you deal with it with humility and you think, you know what? We still had a great time. And tonight was an excellent night. Tomorrow will be an excellent day. And if you win, fantastic. Then you feel incredibly lucky. But if you lose, you deal with it. There are people out there with significantly worse problems than supporting a team that's just lost a Champions League final. By the way, I say that all rationally now. If I have to record some of this bollocks uh, after we've lost tomorrow night, then uh, I'll be telling a fucking different story. But anyway, uh, good night, everybody. Whenever you're listening to this shit, and uh, uh, I, I hope to record some more stuff tomorrow. Goodbye. Hello, today is the day. It is the final of the uh, Champions League in a mere uh, six hours and five minutes. Uh, myself and my good friend Matthew McMillan. Say hello, Matthew McMillan. Bonjour. Bonjour indeed, Matthew. Uh, he's a Welsh, so obviously a lot more cultured than me um,
0: and better brought up. Um, uh, and we are outside the uh, uh, nation-, nation train station on the Paris Metro about to go into the Liverpool fan
1: zone which by the look and sound of it you might be able to hear it a little bit in the background is, uh, is going to be fucking lively. So uh, yeah, that's, that, that's it. That's what's going on uh, today. Uh, feeling a little bit of a mixture of uh, kind of excitement and, uh, and butterflies and uh, just general kind
0: of deep-rooted anxiety um, at the prospects of what lies ahead in the next uh, eight or nine hours of uh, my life and the lives of uh, everyone else uh, around here. But uh, it is a, it is a, a lovely day in, uh, in Paris, a little bit cloudy, and uh, not, not oppressively hot like Madrid was a few years ago. And uh, Matthew, do you want to add anything about how you're feeling at this moment in terms of uh,
1: the game and the prospects of the game? The atmosphere here is electric. It It must be... Yeah, you like realise... I can feel the chill down my spine. Yeah, yeah. There's about fifty thousand here at this fan zone. Yeah, and yes, it is electric. Well, the sunshine has burst through the clouds. In, in the interest of transparency, because Matthew's going very much for the sort of Vladimir Putin style of, uh, of, uh, of 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 reporting, whereby he's kind of telling you very much what what you need to hear. We've not even got in the fan zone yet, so he's very much uh, anticipating.
0: But we will in our our intention will be to report directly from the fan zone and uh, give you the, the truth
1: and I'm, I think that Matthew is going to be absolutely right I think it
0: will be uh, absolutely electric Matthew how do you feel about the game today uh, early stages I know yeah, but what's your gut feeling you've been to many of these finals you're 70 years old um,
1: you've been to a lot, a lot of games what are you uh, saying I, I think that I think that what we've got to do is make sure that we start confidently and then we use our premiership uh, energy Premier League Matthew it wasn't Sarah. called the premiership no. since 2006. I think we've got to go in hard, fast and first 20 minutes try and get a few goals. Yep. What we don't want to do is them start to dictate it tactically. Yep. We should use our speed and power. and, and, and tech, Is a hard and fast strategies. start something that is uh, symptomatic and representative of your, your style in other areas of life? Matthew? Yeah, absolutely. I've been speaking to Jürgen all week. Not really. But they would be the tactics, I would say. Go right. for it. Good. Out of the blocks. He didn't flying. go for the bait there. Did you didn't hear that, listeners? So I tried to... Allude to, to something probably uncouth uh,
0: and uh, he didn't go for it anyway. So, this is once again unprecedented football on focus live on the road in Gay Paris. And uh, we might keep you updated as the day goes, and we might not. Who knows? You're not paying for this shit anyway, which is just as well because it's awful. Uh, au revoir, uh, Trebian.
1: Uh, this is a bad part in uh, Gay Paris. Uh, I'm in The uh, time is 10 to 7, Parisian time. And uh, having got back to the hotel from the uh, insanity that is the that was the fan park, it's now the calm before the storm, standing outside, just about to walk to the tube, the metro. And
0: uh, this is what it's all about, the game itself. Um, as a kind of wider talking point, you know, it is... Tells you kind of everything that's wrong with the way that the, the, the people who are prioritised uh, in football that is at least three or four times as many fans here as there are tickets. And, you know, I know that you can't get everyone a ticket, but there are people here who are deserving of it and who have had no hope. And uh, and that's not fair because there's going to be 20 or 30,000 people in there tonight who just randomly entered the UEFA ballot or got friends in the right places or who, uh, you know, got a relative or something. And uh, it's just wrong because the thing that makes football so special, the thing that makes football so compelling is the fact that people, you know, it's the burning love and passion for it from
1: everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your economic status is, nothing. It's all about just how much you love it and... Uh, those, you know, it should be a meritocratic way in which you should get access to a game
0: like this. So anyway, that's my my attempt to broaden it out and not just make this a
1: a Liverpool thing. But uh, yeah, feeling pretty tense now as well, I suppose. I mean, you know, you want to come all this way and you want to win. And uh, it's always pretty terrifying when you're up against Real Madrid because... They're Real Madrid.
0: And if one club knows how to win this trophy, it's Real Madrid. Anyway, my ambition will be to keep these updates going throughout the night, but I suppose it depends on emotional state
1: and uh, all sorts of other variables. But I will speak to you soon, I hope. Au revoir.
0: outside the stadium an hour and 20 minutes till kickoff and uh, fucking hell it's uh, the atmosphere is picking up absolutely fucking brilliant uh, nervous as fuck now uh, and this is the, this is what it's all about Neil Booth, how are you feeling
1: <laughs> nervous nervous nervous
0: <laughs> nervous 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 that's the nerves is the word of the day nervous Here we go. When people, uh, when people moan about football fans, they sometimes for good reason. Um, but there are many times when uh, football fans are treated in an unacceptable way and over the years that has led to some horrendous things happening to them. Uh, Myself and a big group of fans have just been queuing to get in in a very orderly fashion to get in the uh, stand of France and there's been absolute chaos since the moment we came out of the station basically like the the organisation is diabolical and there was just a big hold up police blockade and uh, keeping us standing there for 10 Minutes or so, and uh, no announcements, no sign, no, no way of telling we were going the right way or the wrong way. All of a sudden, boom, tear gas just unleashed tear gas on the crowd indiscriminately. So we all had to flee, and uh, now we're, we're sort of up some other way, which theoretically is into the stadium. But there's people with their eyes absolutely streaming, coughing, spluttering, confused. Uh, it's diabolical. And that's just you know, that's the way that the French are going to deal with the Olympics then God help us all but uh, I suspect as ever this is just the way that football fans are treated because we're treated like animals disgusting so this is three days now well two and a half days after the events of um, Champions League final on Saturday night I'm recording this on Tuesday morning Uh, deliberately left it a couple of days um mostly because I just thought it was wise to have a bit of time to reflect before kind of putting um putting on record <laughs> pretentious as that sounds kind of my, my observations and my thoughts about um what happened on Saturday. But um so I've I've thought long and hard about kind of how best to describe it but really there's not a huge amount that's going to be different from uh, stuff that anyone else has heard over the last couple of days, if you've, if you've been interested in paying attention. Um, but I suppose all you can ever do in this, these types of situations is just say what you see and uh, tell it from your, your perspective. So the last um, recording that I did uh, update on this attempt to kind of catalogue the experience of going to uh, the Champions League final was to um state how we had been just pepper, pepper sprayed moments before uh, for no obvious apparent or since explained reason, just to sort of give a bit of context in the lead up to that. So as with most major uh, events, and particularly football events, you yeah, you used the public net, uh, the public um, transport network in these major cities to get to the ground and uh, i suppose um the first uh, at the time felt like a quite a minor issue was that not long before leaving the hotel to travel, I was informed that one, there's, there's kind of two main arteries that kind of go through the centre of Paris and then up to Saint-Denis where the stadium is. And I think one of them was down either through a technical error or some sort of strike. Um, so I suppose that that immediately wasn't ideal because kind of everyone was using the same line. But it was fine. And to be honest, we got it fine. And the train wasn't even particularly um, packed. Um But I think what it meant was that the station that that, uh, we went to was um, possibly a different one to the the one that a lot of people would typically get directed towards. So I don't know how relevant that is. But what certainly was the case is that when we then got off, from the moment we left the station to the then quite laborious and long walk to the stadium, there was no – it really did feel like we were completely left to our own devices there were police ushering people kind of onto the pavement to make sure they stayed off the road but the road was still surprisingly busy considering that you know 80 or 90,000 people were going to be in that stadium and um there were no as you kind of got closer to the stadium you kind of go up if you meant, if you compare it to Wembley way you come out of Wembley park station you just got one straight road ahead well i thought initially that that was going to be the case although you couldn't see the stadium in the, in the distance um there were trees and stuff blocking over view so i thought okay we'll just keep walking along here then all of a sudden the road sort of veered off to the left and uh, that was then uh, the main it appeared to be the main route towards the stadium I think it then sort of diverted again slightly but but again no signage usually in those situations there would be um, checkpoints again to compare it to Wembley Way and it is relevant this comparison because I know there's been problems at Wembley in the last year with the Euros um, but only two weeks earlier we were at the FA Cup final when even more people were there and you had two sets of fans all getting off at the same station and Immediately as soon as you get to that, to Wembley, uh, Wembley Park station, the fans are kind of almost unofficially encouraged to go on one side of the walkway or the other. There's police, probably about every 20, 30 meters, there's a line of police, there's sort of, you know, private security people as well. And you're having your, um, your, your person checked for kind of alcohol and other period items and, and stuff like that. And this is long, long before you get to the stadium, whereas there was absolutely nothing like that in France. So the last um recording of, of happiness, and probably the last time I felt um sort of happy before the game was when um we were coming up towards the stadium and there's a like a kind of a bit of a dip down and an underpass, which has been on the telly a lot. I've seen over the last couple of days. And um the stadium, as you come out of that, is right in front of you. Now me and my mate Neil just before we got to the underpass um the team coach would you believe had just turned up and it and it kind of turned right in front of our of our path uh and that was absolute chaos there was a bit of kind of police following it doing a bit of whistling and and there was I think there was one police car behind it and a siren but it really did drive straight through um a crowd and it really it felt chaotic kind of people were sort of, you know, running up the side of the bus and stuff. But I suppose that's not massively different from a normal football ground. But it was an early indicator that there was kind of no one around managing the safety and security of of people. Anyway, you then come out of that, um, that underpass. Stadium's right ahead of you. And you can see that there are steps leading up to the stadium and lots of entrances. But for some reason, we were not encouraged to go up that way. The crowd just... Um, turned right, and and you'll kind of then find yourself where you're kind of going alongside um, the stadium as opposed to straight up towards it. We couldn't really work out why. Now, at this stage, the crowd started to slow because um, of just a build-up of numbers, and we could see along the sides of the road that there were um, a large number of very obviously kind of local, um, young-looking lads who, um, well, just very obviously weren't there for a game of, to, to, to see a football match, or certainly didn't have tickets for a football match. They were kind of lined up along the side of the road. I'd say the majority of them had mopeds that were parked quite close to them, and that they were all along the side of the road as well. Now, if you imagine you're walking up the side of the road, and to your left you've got a kind of walkway which is going upwards towards the stadium. And that was where we were kind of being ushered. So we were having to kind of walk along one bit, a bit like an airport security queue. You're walking along one bit and then you're going to get immediately jag left and go go kind of back on the way you've just come, but but upwards. And throughout our walk along this initial bit of road, there were people, these same kind of French lads um, or local lads, um, climbing up... Helping each other to kind of climb up this um, sort of concrete wall to get into the raised um the raised pathway now it, I couldn't see from where I was whether the point in which they were getting over would get them behind any sort of police checkpoint, but they were obviously going up there for for one reason or another and they seemed pretty intent on getting up there um I saw one uh gendarme. Come over and kind of a, did a sort of cursory look down to see what was happened. I think he kind of sized up the situation, realised that there were too many of them to stop what was happening, so he just left them to it. Anyway, we then um, started uh, walking up that uh, road um, as the crowd kind of ushered left, and probably about fifty meters along there, maybe less, uh, we came to a stop. Not uncommon when you're going into a big big event like that. Um, And for what we could only assume was a police check. Uh, Me and um, Neil were probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 people from the front. So you could see that there was a barrier there, but you couldn't necessarily see how they were, what they were checking for and how they were uh, going about it. So we stood there probably 10, 15 minutes. Um, The crowd was very kind of calm and I think recognising that we were close to the stadium and and um, would it wouldn't be long until we were in and we were not aware at that stage other than the um, the general feel of kind of intimidation that there were any problems on the horizon and as I explained in the um, in the update that I recorded straight away just without warning without any communication and all of a sudden um the people in front of us started turning and running towards us. And then um, you could see panic in people's eyes. It was really genuinely terrifying. And then it became clear <laughs> straight away what had happened because my um, eyes then started to itch and I was coughing and coughing and the coughing was kind of getting more and more um, intense. And you're thinking, Oh God, what, you know, this is obviously um, pepper spray, or tear gas, whatever, it, whatever it was. It was really, really horrible um, and quite frightening because you're in a situation where you're just running. You're running away and you can't really understand what you've been subjected to and why. There were people in real discomfort. There were people kind of gagging and puking, coughing, eyes streaming, red rings around their eyes. Really horrible. And we're not, you know, when you've been to enough football matches over the years, you can tell the difference between people who have just kind of... um, been dealt with because they're trying to cause problems and people who are caught in the crossfire and i genuinely didn't see a single person who was anything other than caught in a crossfire they were we were were just standing there we were literally just standing there at a checkpoint waiting to get in um so then you're kind of back at the bottom of this um slightly raised um pathway and we were sort of talking to other people saying where do we go now where are we supposed to get in and then. I cannot stress enough everybody's ticket will have a gate on it to tell you where you're supposed to enter the stadium but there was absolutely no sign anywhere or people around to kind of be helpful to tell you where you're supposed to go and the best way to get there and to help (coughs) kind of ensure that everybody's going in the right direction it would be normal if you go to uh, you know again I'll use the Wembley example but if you go to you know an Olympic Games or I don't know Wimbledon or whatever like Everywhere you go, there'll be someone, in normally in a glow jacket, looking to help you and point you in the right direction to ensure that there's um, continued movement of people, safe movement of people, and you don't get any dangerous kind of blockages. There was absolutely nothing. Another thing that's important to emphasise as well, in, th- in these streets that we were then into, they were busy. It wasn't just, again, the, the normal spacious walkways that you would expect around a you know a huge bowl like National Stadium these were it was frantic some of the locals were on mopeds the ones that they had parked up and they were kind of swerving in and out of the crowd um which felt really dangerous and intimidating I don't know what they were trying to do um I'd imagine probably looking and you know pickpockets and tickets or phones or whatever but that was an added complication that was you know again added to the anxiety um so then we kind of walked, continued to walk, taking uh, kind of around the stadium, and we took the next available left turn, assuming that that would then take you to the the, the, the the turnstile. And again, we came across a police check, but this road felt more like a kind of you know a bit of a side street um, rather than a, a, a walkway to the stadium. There were buildings on either side and a, and a wall kind of to the right, a kind of fenced a wall with a kind of fence. Uh, in front of it and uh, there were police vans parked down the middle of the road kind of at angles kind of quite unhelpfully and I would say dangerously positioned because it then meant that the crowd were having to kind of stand in between the vans and around the vans Um, um, and there was no point at which you could kind of stand freely and see the barrier that you were lining up for, and see where the access points were, work out where um, where you were supposed to be going through, and um, how long it was likely to take. There was also a tree um, that was just you know a completely innocuous uh, type of tree you'd get along a, a suburban walkway, but that again its positioning didn't help because that meant. As the crowd started to build, you were kind of being pushed up either behind the tree or then trying to get in front of the tree, uh, as well as the police fans. So after standing in this crowd for about ten minutes and it getting really quite quite uncomfortably packed, um, we could see that we were being kind of funneled. But again, unofficially, unannounced, no one on a megaphone, no one um, stewarding with any you know uh, day glow on uh, attempted to help us but we were being funneled to the right-hand side, kind of diagonally right top corner. Um, And that, again, was dangerous because people were coming in from the sort of left-hand side of the road and kind of joining this crowd without knowing what they were going into and why. And the crowd was just getting tighter and tighter and it wasn't moving. It wasn't moving at all absolute snails pace and what was really starting to stress me um again i can only speak for myself was that you couldn't really see the end of uh of the queue and where you were trying to get to so you were feeling you were having less and less control over your body movement without being able to see the way out and i was you know trying to remain calm and uh sort of chatting to, to Neil and people around us and kind of work out what was going on. But, you know, I, I'll admit, I was feeling, you know, really, really quite uncomfortable. Um, and another complication yet again was that because of the lack of stewarding and a lack of staff on this particular road, um, the, the the right-hand side where we were being ushered towards, that, that fence was lined with local people who um, – can only assume we're were again looking for trouble they were trying to rob tickets, they were trying to force their way through the barrier that we we assumed we were queuing towards Um, and there was one lad in particular who as we got kind of closer to that side of the road he was he was just looking for trouble off anyone who would engage him in conversation, he was kind of making eye contact with people and then you know picking that up and uh, sort of shouting at them in in French and kind of surging towards him. He had a couple of mates with him as well who were kind of backing him up. And for me, it was a very obviously a a way, a tactic to kind of start a confrontation to then maybe distract people. So you could take something out of someone's pocket or um, push further up in the queue. And he tried, this guy was trying on the sort of picking on this one bloke who had like a load of mates with him that I was really, you know, so proud of those people to be honest they did an amazing job of not giving the guy what he wanted they didn't really engage him they told him to fuck off a few times there was a little bit of a standoff where the the, the local guy was trying to surge at, at this Liverpool fan and he was sort of standing his ground but not giving him the satisfaction of lashing out or grabbing him or anything like that and then his mates sort of um, the Liverpool fans mates kind of stood around him and, and tried to usher this guy away, but he kept coming back and back and back. He was so persistent. Um And even when then it appeared that peace had broken out and that the, they'd sort of, you know, calmed the situation down, <clears throat> this local fellow would would be one, one minute sort of coming over and trying to shake hands, and then within 10 seconds, he's going again looking for trouble. So, that, you know, it's very obvious what they're up to. So it took probably half an hour maybe more maybe 40 minutes or so to um to kind of get through this point um slowly ushering and and even right to the very top right corner of this queue where the the end of it was finally there there was one guy in a day glow just checking that you had a legitimate ticket and then letting you through and then there was a couple of police uh the other side of that who were kind of just standing around looking um and um but even at, that, even at that point, that last stage of the queue, there were still three or four kind of locals, clearly without tickets, um, looking for trouble, standing right against the wall. So when you're having your ticket checked, you've got somebody, you know, touching you on your right-hand side who you know is up to no good. Um, so, you know, you do everything you can to kind of keep your pocket secured and stuff, but they know that at that point you're having your ticket checked so your guard's down. Anyway, having got through that point... And then walk up probably about um, 30 or 40 metres, top of the road, turnstile of the stadium. Again, chaos, nowhere near as chaotic as I think some of the other uh, turnstiles were. I don't know whether it's because we we were forced into buying because we got our tickets quite very late uh, into buying the more expensive ones. But, um, you know, maybe there were fewer supporters in that bit. um, And that made the queue shorter, but we still queued probably another 10 minutes to get in and got to the front. And there was there was general confusion. There was a, a, one of the turnstiles was, was broken, which meant that people were kind of having to walk across each other. And there was no attempt to manage that. Staff standing the other side of a fence, just looking and sounding unhelpful. And there were people being refused entry because their tickets weren't scanning properly. And I don't know whether that's because they'd been sold duds or more likely um, that, the people had already got into the stadium using tickets that had the same barcode because that's clearly been one of the problems here that people have been able to sort of copy tickets um, and getting meaning that people with legitimate tickets were walking up to the turnstile not imagining for one moment that they would have a problem and their ticket wasn't working. Um, I mean, you can't imagine now the frustration and anger that you would feel. Anyway, we got in and from that point i suppose it was relatively normal um i did notice throughout the match that there were a, an awful lot of people standing kind of in the gangway not 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 anywhere near a seat um obviously for a game of that magnitude no one sits down unless you're you know a uefa corporate wanker who's not there for the for the passion of it you, you know it's a, like a night at the opera but ev- everyone's standing throughout but Normally then everyone's kind of standing at their seat, but the, the walkway to and from the, the sort of concourse, um, going to and from your seat was just packed with people throughout the entire match. And again, you could just tell that probably 80% of those people were not, were not Liverpool fans. They were people who had, I don't know how they would got into the stadium, but they were kind of young looking, uh, local lads not even necessarily focusing on the game, spending a lot of time on their phones and just generally creating a sense of unease um, for everyone around them. Um, Anecdotally, as well, it's not not anecdotally, while while this was was happening, um, I was in communication with uh, other friends who were, um, you know, there for the weekend with us or at the game and one in particular, uh, my mate Aaron, who had... Got a ticket relatively late in the day through UEFA, not through um, Liverpool, and had a, because he'd had to arrange his transport very late, he had co- he he got on a coach at about eight in the morning from Victoria Sta- Coach Station in London. Drove down to they drove down to Dover. Um, there was a Brexit-related delay, and I think he, they missed the boat that they were supposed to be on, so they got the next one. So time was always going to be tight, and they were concerned about missing kickoff. And for reasons I won't bore you with, he. He um, had an absolute nightmare over the next few hours. And even when they got to Paris, I think the coach driver didn't drop them in the place he was supposed to. So he then had to, after all that time, you know, best part of 12 hours on a coach, had to then uh, get a cab back up towards the stadium, finally got there, heard that there was a delay to the kickoff. So was hopeful of kind of, you know, making kickoff or as close to kickoff as possible and was then refused entry and repeatedly refused entry. There isn't a happy ending to this. He wasn't then suddenly, nobody saw reason and said, okay, yeah, I can see what you've been through and you've got a legitimate ticket, in you go. He went through all of that, all of that expense, all of that trouble, all of that day of stress, sitting on a coach, being on a boat, sitting on the um, French and the British motorways and and didn't get in. He he did actually, well, it's not technically true. I think for the last eight or nine minutes, um, he walked up to the gate where there were some UEFA delegates, put someone in a suit having a cigarette and he sort of just chatted to him and he told him what had happened and this this bloke went up to the turnstile and said this ain't right let these guys in. So he got in and I think 82 minutes were on the clock so he spent hundreds of pounds I think about 400 quid odd for his ticket and then goodness knows how much on his travel um, to see eight minutes of, um, of football at the end of a Champions League game. Um and and I suppose the only thing really to add is that it's so depressingly predictable that since uh the final, since the events of the other day, the kind of um information war propagated by UEFA but clearly uh added to by the the type of people you'd expect to to jump on the bandwagon of blaming either English football fans or specifically Liverpool football fans without knowing anything about it, without having been there, without bothering to look into the detail. and It's this same mentality that leads to... The reason it's so dangerous is because it leads to not just, you know, when you make the Hillsborough comparison, the the, um, more than 30 years of uh, unforgivably offensive and horrendous songs being sung at a club who lost 97 innocent people um, to a a crush caused by incompetence um, going into a football ground. So you, you kind of, you know, you put that into context, and you and you think, what what feeds that? What allows that to happen? And it's a culture in which football fans are treated like like animals, like cattle. This, this wouldn't happen if you had the same numbers of people. Walking towards a stadium to see any other sport. It just wouldn't happen. And it's not because football fans act differently. It's because the way the mentality in which the authorities approach football fans is completely different. They would not for the Olympics in a few years' time, people going to watch an evening's athletics or for the, you know, tweed jacket wearing Guinness gulping four wheel drive, uh, drivers who are going to be going to the Rugby World Cup. Um, uh, is it next year or whenever? uh they just they just won't get treated like that despite of being in the same numbers because the the mentality of the authorities when approaching those people will be totally different it 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 feeds into generations of difference between um, a combination of sorry i think some class snobbery and um the victimization of, of fans for, for issues that are more often than not caused by, you know, incompetence and disorganization. You, I've heard people say that UEFA only had three months to prepare for this because it was the, the match was supposed to be in St. Petersburg and it was removed from, um, from them because of Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Well, three months to stage a high profile match in a national stadium that regularly, you know, hosted a Euro final in 2016 the world cup final in 2000 and sorry 1998 and regularly hosts um massive events that should be more than enough and in that time um they did of course find the resources and the uh and the, and and the time to ensure that the stadium was wrapped in UEFA branding that all of their Sponsors and corporate guests um had everything they could have possibly wanted that the allocation for their corporate hospitality and sponsor um guests were uh, you know in the in the tens of thousands um that um you know every single other detail that suited to the people they prioritized was was um made perfect. Um, but seem to just completely disregard the important stuff, which is dealing with the the, the the majority of people who are just run-of-the-mill football fans who just want to get safely to and from um, a stadium. And the, their attempt since Monday to – since uh, Sunday to kind of declare an information war and to pour kind of, you know, fog into the argument, the, the clear stream of evidence – uh, unequivocal evidence that shows who the perpetrators were for this, this really dangerous situation. Um, their attempt to do that is depressingly familiar and predictable and, but ne- not nonetheless disgraceful. Um, I'd like to think that it's going to be more difficult to really pull off in an era of um, kind of smartphones and social media where you know every single supporter is a is a walking camera operative, and you know, so evidence is is much more abundant than it was in 1989 or with any other major um, flare-up, uh, an incident um, in and around a football ground. Um, and another thing, I suppose that shouldn't be forgotten is that this this is not an isolated incident in in France. You know, we we talk a lot sort of very critical of our own ability to uh, host football matches in the UK and the the kind of embarrassment of the Euros final last year. But let's not forget that the French League itself has had some major and very, very serious and sinister incidents this season leading to um, entire matches being abandoned. I think it was a Lyon-Marseille game earlier in the season had to be completely abandoned And they're they're always having kind of stoppages because of real problems with with crowd violence and the police reaction to that crowd violence. I think last night um, PSG women were playing a match in which some fans inside the ground unfurled a banner that said, um, I think the translation was, you know, the French police, your incompetence can now be seen uh, around the world. And that banner was taken down after five or 10 minutes, but they got the message across and you know I, I think on the sunday night there was a relegation playoff match between Auxerre and Saint Etienne and after that it it all kicked off and uh, you know the police were there with the tear gas and the tear gas really does seem like a rather than a last resort weapon it's a, it's a grab uh, instinctively straight away um device which is absolutely unacceptable because for anyone who hasn't had tear gas sprayed at them before it's frightening it's incredibly uncomfortable it's kind of overwhelming um and i'd say probably 99 times out of 100 it is completely unnecessary in terms of its use as well and they were just spraying it indiscriminately on you know i saw um you know uh, women and kids having to run away with you know streaming eyes i saw one old guy in particular who's the image of seeing him sort of hunched over is really ingrained in in my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about it and it's just it's just really, really horrible. Um so this 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 incident could happen to any any set of fans. I, I know that, you know, the the decent um people who are not trying to just throw mud but are actually trying to add and recognise this severity of the incident and how it really could happen to anyone, um, have have been chipping in very helpfully. I think some Chelsea supporters have said that they had problems last time they were in France um, with supporters I think uh, uh, it, actually even Real Madrid there was again there was a suggestion earlier on that oh it's funny how Real Madrid didn't have any of these it was just any of these problems it was just Liverpool but actually the evidence is starting to come through now increasingly they did have some very similar problems but that also their their kind of walk to the stadium was managed completely differently Um And they were possibly, you know, treated a little bit more like human beings and given a little bit more respect and dignity um, right from the start. So um, it is completely wrong to kind of, you know, make those lazy assessments. But again, you're not going to be able to stop people from doing that. And um, that's just unfortunately the way of the world. You know, it's it's quite an unpleasant world in which we live. You know, you look at the way that people behave on social media and everyone's just so quick to become violent with their um, their language and their, um, the way in which they speak to each other. So that's it. It's really, really depressing. When I started doing um, these recordings on Friday morning from the Eurostar terminal at St Pancras Station, I thought this is going to be a kind of joyous, even if you lose the game. And I, it's amazing. I haven't even mentioned the, the game. And clearly it's really disappointing to go all that way. And go for all of that, and then lose the match. Um, But it it kind of really doesn't feel particularly important when um, when you put it in the context of kind of what what's happened um, before and to some extent after the match and what that could have led to. But the main thing I feel now, after a kind of you know day and a half of, of of numbness and. Um, kind of trying to process what my main emotion was. My main emotion now is anger. I'm angry at UEFA for their instinctive attempt to blame the fans <coughs> for the way in which they announced the delay to the kickoff time by saying it was due to late arrival of fans. Again, so depressingly familiar. 33 years on after Hillsborough, it was exactly the same then when the FA and the authorities and South Yorkshire police straight away said, oh, um, ticketless fans forced open a gate that was a, a line straight away that was they, they attempted to deliver it to the BBC commentary team and to, to to get that into people's consciousness straight away and it was exactly the same with the way they put their message up on the board and announced over the tunnel that due to the late arrival of of fans uh the game was going to have to be delayed and the way in which they've you know attempted to Manipulate uh, uh, the arguments since then. Thankfully, it does appear there's going to be an independent inquiry. Let's be positive about that and hope that um, hope that, that ends up, you know, being as independent as they're saying it is and doing the job um, that it should, and holding those um, uh, uh, responsible for these these awful and dangerous um, and sinister scenarios to um, holding them to account. Uh, but I'm 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 angry with you AFA as well for just ruining that the experience for so many thousands of people. There are people there who will never go to a Champions League final again. There are people there who've spent money they simply cannot afford, you know, life savings, getting themselves into credit card debt, um, you know, getting there through hell or high water, whatever mode of transport they possibly can. Um you know, missing out on, you know, birthdays and family occasions to be there, you know, making all sorts of sacrifices and they're going to have nothing but negativity whenever they think about it, um, in the future. And that's, that's all down to the, the shambolic, uh, organization or a complete lack of organization, the contempt, um, um, with which they were treated by the authorities, um, and right from the start, you know, to not even have signposts along the walkway to the stadium is a, looking back now is a telltale sign that trouble was ahead. You know, that things had been neglected and missed here and, uh, it's unacceptable and it's sad and it's a horrible way to end the football season. But there you go. That's my account. Anyway, I hope if anyone's bothered to listen to this, that they uh, enjoyed <laughs> the more positive earlier updates and, uh, and this one now to give a little bit of detail. Um, And until next time, we'll see you on Football Unfocused. (laughs)